This is a Federal News Network podcast. This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Fed Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Welcome to the show. A funny thing happened on the way to defense authorization. Actually, thousands of pages of things. Buried in there was a change in pension policies for the spouses and members of the military reserves. It's so new, many haven't even heard about it, but it's been long sought by reservists and their advocates. I got the lowdown from the managing partner of the Tully Rinky law firm, Tony Kuhn. So there is a a policy that is known as SBP. SBP is for the spouses of service members who uh, have retired from the reserves, not active duty, and they're in what's called a gray area for reservists. So reservists who retire before age 60, they have to wait until they're 60 years old to collect their pension. For those individuals, if they they die before they hit age 60, that vested pension doesn't go to anybody. But if they have a spouse, they can elect, or they can elect for their children as well, they can elect SBP protection. And if they do so, they'll pay a monthly premium. And if they die before their spouse does, or before they turn 60 years old, then their spouse will actually collect their pension. Uh, in the past, you had to elect this SBP protection. Uh, so it's called the Survivor Benefit Plan. You had to elect SBP protection at the time that you get out of the the military, so the time that you retire from the reserves, um, or you were able to change your election within one year of uh, life-changing events like a new marriage, a divorce, something like that. You're, You're not allowed to change those elections at any other time. And nobody knows this. So reservists who are retiring from the reserves, uh, they think that they're able to make the change later in life because a lot of times they're told that. The reality is they're not allowed to make that change. Um, They're told that they can make a new election during an open season. The problem with that is there's only ever been one open season. So in the NDAA, for the first time in a very long time, they've built in a provision that allows for an open season that opened in December 2022 and will end, I believe, January. January 1st, 2024. Um, but again, just like we see with um, the, the uh, COVID vaccine mandate, the guidance has been issued, but there's no policy. So the military branches, even though we're in the open season window right now for people to change their elections, the military branches are scrambling to create a policy to allow those individuals to change their elections. And they even have to create the forms to allow them to do this, because right now we don't even have the forms for the individuals to complete. So the people doing the completion, if they were to discover this, to discover this and have the forms, again, members of the reserve who might be working in careers and maybe not thinking about it that actively. Mm-hmm. So it's it's life changing for a lot of people who are currently retired. You know, we represent multiple people who are going to benefit from this new open season. Uh, usually, what happens is an individual will retire their gray area or they start to collect their pension uh, and they become terminally ill and they start to scramble because there's no there's nothing there to take care of their spouse when they pass away so um we we have clients that we represent right now where we're working on uh getting the the sp the spb protections turned on for their spouses so that when those individuals do pass away their spouses will have a pension and this open season what are the dates of it and is it something that's going to become annual because you know an open season once in one's life not everyone can get to it 
So the open season it was started, I believe it's December 22nd, 2022, and will run for one year, so uh, just over a year, actually. It'll end January 1st, 2024, uh, and again, that's included in the in the NDAA. Uh, this this is the only uh, open season that has occurred you know, while I've been practicing law, and we've argued to the boards for correction of military records many times to allow individuals to change their elections, they're very reluctant to do so. Um, so this forces them to allow these individuals to change their elections. So I think it's going to be a flood. Once the policy is in place and once the form is created, they're going to get a flood of retired reserve service members who want to change their elections. Uh, it's been a long time coming, and it's, um, you know, I'm happy that they're they're including this one as well. So this NDAA uh, 2023 is really going to fix a couple of big issues that are plaguing the military right now. Right. And just to reiterate, this new SBP survivor benefit plan policy, once again, will allow retirees to collect their pensions earlier if they're qualifying spouse dies before 60? It will it will allow qualifying spouses to collect the pension that the service member would have collected if the service member passes away first. Uh, they won't be eligible to collect the pension until age 60, but the pension that is, is set to be paid, the vested pension that's set to be paid to the service member, uh, if they elect SBP protections and they pay the premiums leading up until their death, uh, their spouse will then collect their pension when they pass away. And presuming there's a process and forms during this open season that lasts another most of a year, where would people likely go to be able to access that change, that election? Great question. Uh, so they're DFAS, the the defense financing and accounting, um, you know, they're the agency that handles paying individuals for the most part. DFAS has a website, dfas.mil, uh, M-I-L. So individuals can go to dfas.mil for additional information about SBP, and it's as easy as Googling SBP as well. You'll get a bunch of ads that pop up, but look for that dfast.mil site, and you can go in there, and they have a survivor benefit plan and defense finance and accounting service page, and you can read about the SBP changes that are going to be taking place at that page, and that's where they'll be publishing updates in the future as well. Uh, and you can also look at, there's a myarmybenefits.us.army.mil page that will list the uh, SBP protections as well. Right, so the updated information about this change that was just enacted a few weeks ago is online, but just not the mechanism to actually make the selection yet. That's correct. So they're, they're publishing the change. They're letting everybody know, um, hey, the change is coming, get ready for it, but they're not ready for it. So that once they have their policy in place and the forms, uh, they'll, they'll publish those, the, that new policy and the forms on their websites, and individuals will be able to go through, and uh, usually they put out some pretty detailed guidance on how to accomplish that. Uh, should be pretty sim simple. Now, for individuals who do elect SBP now, uh, if they've already been retired or it's been a while since they got out, they're, they're probably going to have to pay back that annuity, um, that, that monthly annuity, I'm sorry, the, uh, the monthly payment that they would have paid uh, to have that SBP protection, the premium. Um, so they're, they're probably going to have to pay that money back just to catch up on what they would have paid into SBP. Um, because like I said, it's basically like an insurance. Uh, and if they haven't been paying that insurance premium up until now, they're going to have to catch it up. Uh, so be ready for that. If you decide to elect SBP protections now retroactively, you're going to have to catch up on those payments, but it will still they'll still benefit from it in the end. And by the way, what do you think got to Congress this time around? Because as you say, you've been lobbying for this for many years, and there's an NDAA that merry-go-round goes around year after year. 
So I think that it just got to a point finally where so many people are being cheated out of these these retirement benefits. So many service members are passing away and spouses are being left with no pension, despite the fact that the service member earned the pension. Uh, There's so many situations where individuals have been applying to DFAS and applying to the boards for correction of military records to change their elections and they're being turned away. It's just a poor policy that exists right now. Nobody who retires in, in this gray area waiting until they collect a pension or um, is a reserve retiree even collecting a pension, nobody knows about the the selection process. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult rule to follow, and nobody in the military understands it. So when they get when they out-process and they get their briefings, most of the time the information that they receive isn't even accurate. So um, it's about time that, you know, Congress, I think, has taken enough heat. Uh, I think that probably thousands of people now have complained through the years about their elections and, and the issue making the new elections. So it's finally going to fix or going to give those individuals a mechanism to be able to fix their SVP elections. Uh, it was a long time coming. And some pensions have, you know, one benefit if only the primary recipient, in this case, the service member takes it. It's less for the pair of people if the service member wishes some type of annuity to continue after his or her death. Is that the same case here where if you want it to last a lifetime for either one of you, it's going to be lower than if it just lasts your own lifetime? Possibly. You know, what you have to think about here is there's a lot of different circumstances that follow uh, a marriage. So an individual who was married for a long time while in the military and maybe got a divorce, there's probably a divorce decree in place that grants that uh, that non-military spouse a portion of the pension because she earned it. She, she served along with that service member. Um, so if SBP is mishandled, she's not going to get even though it's court ordered, she's not going to get her portion of the pension that she's entitled to. So there's a lot of different issues that come into play um, that SBP has affected throughout the years. That's just one of them. Um, but really what this does is this provides a, an opportunity for either the spouse or the children of the service member to be able to collect the pension if the service member passes away before he can collect the pension. Tony Kuhn, managing partner at the law firm Tully Rinky. And that brings us to a short commercial break. You're listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. Over 46,000 feds choose WEPA to be there for their life's biggest moments. Group term life insurance is a smart option if you're looking for coverage that'll help you meet your changing needs. At WEPA, eligible employees can apply for up to $1.5 million in life insurance regardless of salary. We also offer other coverage options such as group short-term disability insurance or a chronic illness rider. Visit waepa.org for more information. Welcome back to FedLife. The Office of Personnel Management wants to completely refresh its main website. With the multi-year project already underway, they're hoping that at the end of it, any web visitor can find what they're looking for in just two clicks. OPM's Chief Information Officer tells Federal News Network's Drew Friedman that visitors will more easily find answers to questions about their federal hiring, retirement, and health benefits. Here's an excerpt of her interview with Guy Cavallo. OPM.gov is really set up like a legacy government website in that it's structured around the 
actual organization and offices uh, of OPM as an agency versus what somebody would want to look for. So, for example, maybe you're uh, you're an early career talent, you want to consider working for the federal government, and you think you could go to OPM.gov and easily see what the what the hiring process is. You'd have to know which OPM office is the one that does hiring to be able to find it. So we're really looking at, at two types of modernization. One is a technology modernization. The other one's a content modernization. On the technology side, the current website is actually hosted on-premise in an OPM data center. So that means that we're limited by you know, the current hardware capability to be able to deal with any surges or flexibility and also you know, limited disaster recovery uh, in a failover time versus a cloud-hosted website where all of those things are automatic. So that will be that'll be the under the hood that people won't realize it, but from an OPM standpoint, it's gonna give us a much more resilient and elastic website able to deal with the future. We also will be changing and updating our content management solutions so that it's easier for us to update than the current program. So the technology side will be half of the project. The other half of the project is totally revamping the content. We're going to be very much in alignment with the executive orders on customer service. So, you know, when we look at who uses OPM, for example, we, we already are building user stories on, I'm a current federal employee and I want to look at my benefits or I want to look at what changes if I move to another agency. So there'll be a very clear path of, I'm a current federal employee, so I want to look for things that impact me. Then we also have federal retirees. We want to have them have a clear path. They are looking for very specific benefit information, not necessarily looking for a new federal job. But again, we want to take them on that path. And then the case I just mentioned, you know, a citizen that's interested in, you know, should I consider federal employment? Even just how do I get started or what are the benefits or what are the pay scales? So again, we'll have a customer experience story for each of those. And those are you know three of the core functions. That's so right now you would have to hop to multiple OPM program offices to get that information. So when we do this, uh, it's going to be much much more based around common customer experiences than just OPM's org structure. Are there certain areas of the website that get a lot of traffic or that you're kind of prioritizing to refresh first? What are the areas that most users are going to to find these answers? That's all part of the content refresh. And, and of course, in the meantime, we're going to keep updating the current website until we're ready to switch over to this. You know, definitely we're, we're trying to improve those customer experiences today as much as we can. But until there's a really a, a complete restructuring, we can only take that so far. So again, around those three user experiences that I highlighted, those are those are the three heavy, heaviest areas that we see traffic that we want to improve those you know as quickly as possible. And like any transition like this, we will most likely have the new website up running and still have part of the legacy website in the background. This is not something we're gonna be able to throw a switch over a weekend and have everything done. 
That makes sense. I mean, it's a huge undertaking. You know, there's not going to be a set time, like you said, where there's going to be a switch. But do you have a sense of timeline of when users of OPM.gov might start seeing the outcomes or results of some of these changes? We are working on that right now on, you know, with the continuing resolution and not being able to do contracting. That is right now my longest hole in the tent is getting the right resources on board now that we have our full funding available. We can start that process, but I'm still going to need time to get contracts awarded. So it's not going to go as fast as I would like to happen just by, by those circumstances. But we're envisioning this is going to be, you know, anywhere from an 18 month to a two year period, but it's hard to tell when that starts until those contracts are awarded to actually be able to start. At OPM, there have been some challenges with retirement services. Are there any new tools that you guys are trying to work on to make that a little bit easier or a little bit more smooth or efficient for people who are looking to use those services? Retirement services is where most of my legacy technology is. So I've been working on improving that each, uh, each year that I've been here. And I guess I'll be CIO in two years and a few months. First thing we fixed was the call center, which was a failing on-premise call center with a cloud-based call center so that retirees wouldn't be dropped while they were trying to talk to a, a service agent. We're also building an online retirement uh, application, which would replace a lot of the paperwork that people do. I mean, right now, when somebody decides to retire, they turn in paperwork to their own agency then it gets processed there before it comes over to OPM. And that could take weeks or even months before it gets to OPM, but they think that OPM already has it. So from a federal employee standpoint, they're going to know where they are in the process. So we are working hard on, on building that system. We're also working on building new retirement calculator service because with this older workforce, a lot of the federal employees have not stayed in one agency their whole career. And in some cases, they've moved to an agency that is off of GS schedule and has a higher pay rate and then back to GS schedule. So the calculation of retirement is much harder today than it was probably in the 60s and 70s. So those are the first parts. And I understand in the omnibus appropriation, we were given additional millions of dollars to work on retirement services. Like I said, there's plenty there. Uh, most of the retirement services applications are currently on an on-premise mainframe. We are doing a study right now on what it will take to move that to the cloud. So uh, yeah, improving retirement services is very high on my agenda and, and my team's agenda. I just wanted to kind of open it to you if there was anything else, any projects you're working on, any last word of advice, anything like that that you want to offer or feel like you didn't get a chance to say? My advice to other agencies that are holding off on moving to the cloud is that you know, the cloud's now 18 years old. How much longer are you going to wait? Again, I, I think the flexibility, the redundancy of the cloud, the elasticity of it, and getting the federal government out of the hardware boom-bust cycle of having to buy all new data centers every three, four, five years, it makes the most sense. And luckily, this is my third agency that I've been able to lead a cloud effort. And each time I found I've been able to do it with a very small team, it doesn't take an army. It just takes desire and rolling up the sleeves to do it. So again, I recommend people strongly look at the advantages of the cloud over keeping on-premise data centers as being the best way we can provide a, a really great 
customer experience for today's citizens and tomorrow's. OPM Chief Information Officer Guy Cavallo speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And now I've got a couple of questions for Drew who joins me. Drew Cavallo said that the idea is for anyone coming to the OPM website to be able to find out what they need in two clicks. That's not a brand new idea. It's been around for a long time. But how different is that? Will that be a big departure from the look of OPM's current website? I think so, Tom. It's You know, this two clicks thing, like you said, it's not really a new idea, but it is going to be pretty different. The OPM website is, it's very comprehensive. There's a lot that you can find on there. There's a lot of information available, but the way that the website is structured, Cavallo said, it can be really difficult, especially if you aren't super familiar with the breakdown of OPM by department. So they're looking for ways to make it easier for whether you're in the federal government, whether you're applying to a federal job whether you're a federal retiree, to be able to find what you're looking for more easily and more tailored around the question you're looking for rather than who do you go to to get the answer from. Yes, that's how OPM site is for the general public. And a lot of federal sites are still that way. They are arranged according to their policies or to their norms or to their individual channels of program which if you don't know them in detail can be incomprehensible to someone trying to find something specific i think a good contrast maybe is the new social security site which is completely designed now more than ever first of all has big type you know which is for the older folks going there but also you want to apply for benefits bang that's the big button right on the front there can't do anything in two clicks with the federal government but I can see where he's going there. And retirement services has been a big problem on OPM's plate for forever, for as long as I've been watching this, the months and months it takes to figure out the final annuity that someone has. Any pressure now to try to make some improvement in that process? I think what we've seen most recently here is just that it was called out specifically in the fiscal 2023 omnibus spending bill. That's not necessarily new either, but just, you know, renewing this call from Congress to focus on IT modernization. OPM's budget for fiscal 2023 specifically for IT modernization is $20 million. So they're getting a lot of money set aside and a lot of that will go towards retirement services. So there's this pressure from Congress saying, you know, we want to see these continuous monthly reports on retirement numbers and just giving them that a a little bit of a boost to try to focus on turning it around. And as Cavallo said, there have been a couple steps taken already. They have updated their call center and they've they're working on a retirement calculator, which is going to be probably more important now because we're seeing a lot of federal employees spending their careers, not just at one agency, but moving around a lot, which makes retirement a little bit more complicated. And yet, you know, look at, again, to cite Social Security, they calculate your benefits to the penny on the day that you retire automatically. It's always up to date. You can check online for your PEBS, you know, your statement every year or anytime you want to now. And people have different jobs and different careers and different earnings and so forth. And yet they're able to keep up with you so that at that point you apply, they know exactly what you're entitled to. I wonder if the same the software is probably 50 years old, so maybe they wouldn't want to use it at OPM, but that's the general idea they're getting at is that it's automatically calculated continuously so that when you push that button to retire, bang, your annuity is all set. That would make things a lot easier. I think it'll be interesting to see how this is going to be tackled at OPM for retirement services. I mean, Cavallo said that this is 
retirement services is the part of OPM that has the most legacy technology of any department. So it's going to be a big undertaking. And I think he's looking potentially at, you know, moving that whole process to the cloud or to a more digitized platform. So it, you know, I think at the other end, it could mean a really big difference for people looking to retire, but it's going to take a while to get there. Well, bad software is not improved when it's run by the cloud. You still have to have good logic. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman and my partner in the show. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. That's it for today's FedLife. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, be sure to let us know what topics are important to you. I'm Tom Temin. Thanks for listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search FedLife.